What's up? Welcome to the 49ers Camelot Show. I'm honored to have you. I'm your host, Mark Adams. I'm one of the writers at 49ers Web Zone. And so you probably would prefer to read my stuff than see my face, but I'm sorry. That's just how it is. Unless you're listening somewhere, wherever you listen to your podcasts, we're there. So, uh, so thanks for joining us. And I'm honored to have my guest, Jordan Elliott, today. Jordan, what's up? Hey, how's it going, Mark? Uh, pleasure to be here. Uh, we're getting really close to the draft here. It's crazy how fast these last few weeks have gone by. So, uh, you know, I'm just uh, having fun with it all and enjoying every minute of this uh, wild off season we've been having. Yeah. And, it, you know, just to be just completely transparent, here's how I came to know who you are. A couple of years ago, I wrote this article for 49ers Web Zone. We're coming into training camp, and I thought it'd be fun to write something that, hey, if you're a 49ers fan, here are some must-follows. And so I had, you know, if, if you want breaking news, it's Mayoko and Barrows. If you're wanting film breakdown, it's John Chapman. It's the guys, Oscar and David, from uh, the Better Rivals podcast. And so I had, like, different categories like that. And so, of course, when it goes out, there are people that are responding and they're saying things like, um, hey, you forgot about so-and-so. This person's my favorite. I had multiple people say, you didn't include Jordan Elliott? And and I hadn't heard of you at that time. And so I decided I'm going to go to this guy's Twitter page. And I have been really, you're a great follow. You do great stuff, not just with the draft, but with the team in general. And and so, man, you're everywhere. I've heard you on the radio. I've seen you on podcasts. And so you're doing a great job. I appreciate it, man. You know, I, I love football. So to me, this is, uh, you know, it's it's not work. You know, I, I work very hard, but it doesn't feel like work. And that's why I yeah. think, um, you know, it's, it's very fun to connect in this community, um, meet all the amazing people who are doing content. And I just feel honored to have the chance to have my place wherever that may be doing all this um, every day. It's something new and any day you get to spend writing or talking about football. Cause I'm just like you, I, I, I like to express my thoughts um, with text. Um, I, I think it, the long form writing is something that's slowly being phased out, but will always have a place. And I just feel honored to have, uh, have somewhere to voice my thoughts on the 49ers and football in general. Yeah. I like doing editorials. So um Sometimes I'll do news stuff, but we have other people at 49ers Web Zone that are so quick with the news that I just never can get in there and beat them. And so I really like to do the editorials where I just kind of give my opinion and and uh, and then it's fun to see what fans of the team think, you know, and some of them hate what you write and some of them love what you write. And so that's kind of fun. But you write for Niners Nation, right? Yes. Okay, so... Uh, you wrote something today, and I'm going to get to that in a minute, but I want to get to something that you wrote last week. You ranked the 49ers' top five needs in the draft. And so I want to break those down real quick and just uh, kind of get you to talk about that. The fifth need was wide receiver, and, and what you wrote was that there's just not much proven depth beyond 2023. Yeah, you know, I just think that as of right now, the biggest concern is that, you know, you have a guy like Juwan Jennings who's played very well, but two, three years down the line, I don't think they'll be able to retain him at the price they have him at now because of all the things he does really well. He's excellent blocking. Um, he's proven to be a guy that you can rely on in the red zone on third down. And I think the 49ers are reaching this phase of being a contending team where you have to really operate within the margins. And some of these guys that you know, you'd love to keep around. Other teams will have more money to shell out and pay for. Mm -hmm. And I think that Jennings is a guy that definitely falls into that category. We don't know what the future with Brandon Ayuk is. I think he's an incredibly talented player, and I would hope the 49ers exhaust every possible option to keep him. But as of now, there's nothing guaranteed beyond the five years that he'll be here on his rookie deal. And then with a guy like Danny Gray, who has a ton of potential, um, you just don't know what that potential will ultimately be. I think he's a guy who has a lot more than just being this North to South, uh, you know, speedster that will take a top off a of defense. I think he has the chance to be a dynamic weapon in this offense, but it really just to me comes down to, you should always be planning a year or two ahead at a couple positions in an ideal world. You'd be able to do it everywhere. 
but some you need to prioritize. And to me, receiver is one of them, um, especially when you think about how difficult that transition has been for some guys in this offense. Um, Debo Samuel's an all pro. And he even he had mentioned early on the adjustments that he had to make as a rookie. Um, you know, we've heard it with guys like Pettis and even Ayuk, where they talk about how difficult it is to absorb the full, um, you know, install and playbook and then get out there and do the things that are asked of receivers early on. So to me, it's more, you know, it may not be like a pressing need in 2023, but when you start looking in the long term, I think that it's something where it'd be nice to be able to just seamlessly go to a guy who, even if they don't see the field too much of the first year or two, you can seamlessly transition to, and they have that experience in the building and uh, in the system. Are they going to be able to keep Ayuk and Debo Samuel? Uh, I think so. I think that it really comes down to um, how much this this new TV deal, I think, is going to really change things. And I think the Niners are one of the teams that's gotten way ahead of planning for that and knowing that the cap's going to jump. So even if you give out deals now where the numbers look a little eye-popping and you're like, oh, that's a lot for this guy, two, three years from now, that might look like a bargain based on how much that cap is projected to rise. So if it wasn't for that, I'd be a little bit more concerned about their ability to do it. But I think given the way that it's projected to go up and just the general popularity of the NFL, people aren't going to be tuning out anytime soon. Those TV ratings are going to go up. The cap numbers are going to go up. So I think they'll find a way to make it work. Yeah, I sure hope so. I I really like Ayuk. Uh, Obviously love Debo, but uh, Ayuk is just, he's a great uh, receiver. And I I think that he's on his way up. So the fourth in your top five needs, number four is cornerback. And you listed that it was the, kind of the same thing as wide receivers, just a lack of depth. Yeah. And it's more so like, the, I think it's like, it's an unproven amount of depth, right? Because uh, Mooney Ward and Diamador Lenore were really good in the postseason. They figured to be the top guys going into next year. Um, Isaiah Oliver was a good signing. Um, I think he's kind of, uh, it's his job to lose to be that starting nickel corner but he's also only signed for one year. And then beyond that, you have some guys with some great athletic traits in um, Samuel Womack and Ambry Thomas. But again, there's not really a great sample size that would make you feel like, okay, well, these are the guys we can fall back on um, down the line um, if, if that's the way things play out. So I think it's, it's just another situation where you should keep taking those guys every year. And then if, hey, if a guy's on the roster for a year or two, it doesn't work out you're not stuck scrambling to replace that depth and that production. You should just always be one step ahead. And um, just it, 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 to me, the receiver edge and wide, or sorry, receiver corner and edge are three positions where you should always have um, this mentality that you can never have too many mm-hmm. players there. I think that yeah. even if it's, if it's causing problems with the depth chart or it's causing problems with, you know, guys not getting enough reps, just how valuable those positions are. Um, and especially with how much guys will tend to price themselves out after having success. I think you should always have an extra um, contingency plan for each of those positions. Yeah. Those are important positions. Any position on the outside seems like it's a really important one. Number three is tight end. And this is a good draft for, for tight end. So what are you thinking there? Yeah. So I just, I think at this point, you know um, I think they've been trying to get Kittle um, a complimentary piece for a couple of years. I thought, you know, the, the, to, in my eyes, the one that actually looked the best, even though it was very short lived was when they had Jordan Reed in 2020 for a mm-hmm. few games. Um, exceptionally talented player. It's just you know, injuries. It's an unfortunate part of this game, but I think we're at the point now where Kittle is, um, he's one of the best to ever play the position. He's an incredible player and I don't think he'll be slowing down anytime soon. But tight ends usually take a couple years to really hit their stride in this league. And if you start thinking long-term, how many more years is Kittle going to be able to be wanting to take the punishment that he takes every single year and just the level of physicality he brings to the game? Um, I, I think it would be wise to have another player where you can maybe give the guy a break and not have him out there um, 17 games a year in the regular season um, where he's, you know, putting his body on the line like that with the amount of snaps he gets. So I think it's more so protecting the asset that you currently have rather than like, Oh, okay, well, Kittle's getting, you know, he's going to be on the other side of 30 soon. We need to start planning for his replacement because for a guy who plays the game the way he does with the passion and the intensity he does, I would never want to speculate that, you know, um, he'll be slowing down anytime soon because I just don't see it. Frankly, I think it's more so just, complimenting him by allowing him to be more efficient by adding another weapon that can contribute at that position. 
Yeah, and it seems like that's what Shanahan wants to do, having a, a two tight ends who are threats in the passing game. I think that's why he went out and got Jordan Reed. But unfortunately, like you said, Jordan Reed was hurt. And then when he was healthy, Kittle was hurt in 2020. So it just never worked out. You mentioned the number two uh, one on your list is edge rusher. And you mentioned that already. But where, where are you at on that, especially when it comes to Drake Jackson? I, yeah, I really like Drake Jackson. Um the thing I look for with edge rushers is always bend. Bend is one thing that I think is it translates the best. Um, a lot of guys either have it or they don't. It's not mm-hmm. it's something you can get a little bit better at, but for the guys who really excel, um, some either have it and some don't. And I think Drake Jackson does have it. I also think that he his time at USC made a very difficult transition to the NFL because they asked him to play so many different positions. They asked him to not be in a role that would put him in the best uh, position to succeed. And his weight, I think too, was another thing where he, he came in at a weight where I was like, okay, this might take a year of an NFL weight program. Um, you know, just being in the building, being around Kosarek tap and those guys, and he'll really start hitting his stride year two. So nothing I saw year one really threw me for a loop. I figured that was kind of what was going to happen. And he has great instincts. He has really good instincts for the ball. We saw he had five or six batted passes throughout the year. Um, really good motor. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've had the chance to speak with him a couple times one-on-one, and he's very uh, bright, really, really smart pass rush. When he starts talking about the uh, the moves, the, his counters, and all the, all the intricacies of pass rushing, you can tell he's a very, very bright young man. So I, there's a lot of promise, and I think there's a lot of belief there. But I also think – you know, losing Charles Menehue, losing Jordan Willis, uh, this team has really thrived on a strength and numbers approach at that position and having such a deep group of players to lean on as the year goes on. So I would take one, and that's not an indictment on Drake Jackson. It's more so just, hey, we need as many good edge rushers as we can have. I've never heard of a team complain and say, man, we have too many good defensive ends right now. Like, <laughs> we need to ship one of these guys out of here. There's just too many talented guys on the team. Um had Menehue and Willis not be, not be, you know, had, had they not left, I don't think it would be as pressing of a need. But that's a lot of, uh, not just production, but snaps with reliable mm-hmm. players. Where yeah. even if they're not getting the pressures or the sacks on a given play, you could count on them to be in the right spot and handle their responsibilities while guys like Nick Bosa were getting their rest. And I think that that's something that's extremely valuable that maybe wouldn't show up in a box score, but plays a huge role as the year goes on for a team that's built so much of their identity in getting after the opposing quarterback. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And your number one on the list was tackle, specifically right tackle. Are, are you concerned about Colton McKivitz, or, or is this a depth thing? Um, it's more so just like – so I think that right now the Niners are in a spot where – you know, the future is so uncertain at both spots because Trent Williams has kind of mentioned like, hey, these seasons are adding up. I think he'll play for a couple more years. But comments like that after such a long career and after all the things he's been through both on and off the field, um, I think they do hold a lot of weight. So I think it's a situation where as of now it's right tackle because nobody's unseating the greatest tackle to ever play the game in my eyes in Trent Williams. But I do think that they need to start looking at a long-term answer that could maybe play left tackle and be the, you know, plan there. Like, let's say McKivitz does work out and they really like what they have. Well, if you get a guy now who has those traits, who has a chance to red shirt and develop a little bit, um, maybe then they can be that succession plan to um, Trent Williams when that time comes. Um, but I think that just at the end of the day, uh, you want to take as many guys as you can and have them be in that competition or be in that um you know, group of players that you're considering for a long-term option, because I don't think I've seen anything from Colton McKivitz that would make me feel like he can't do it. Mm-hmm. I just also think that there's a couple guys in this class who might be available in the third round when they're picking um, that don't necessarily have to come in and start right away, but who have great athletic traits and could possibly be something for you in the long run. Where are you at on this offensive line? I, For me, I feel better going into this next season than I did last year because Aaron Banks was an unknown. Spencer Burford was an unknown uh, because he was a rookie. Jake Brendel uh, had not been a permanent or, or, I guess, regular starter 
And so there was a little bit of a fear there of what's this, what's the interior of this offensive line going to look like? Uh, they performed well. So I feel better going into this season than I did last year. Where are you at on the offensive line? I thought the offensive line concerns last year were valid because of what you said, like the uncertainties there were, we just, we didn't know what to expect. Um, I watched Burford and Banks a ton when they were coming out and I really liked both players. So um, I maybe had a bit more optimism than, um, than was, I, I don't say it was valid because I think it worked out well, mm-hmm. but I was, I was more on the optimistic side last year because of my own evaluations. Um, and I think going into next year, um, losing McGlinchey hurts, but after seeing the leap that Banks took from year one to year two, um, it's, I think, fair to, you know, think about Bur- Burford making a very similar leap himself. Um, I think that both those guys are exceptionally uh, gifted athletes. They're really good at pulling in space. Uh, they both had stretches where they look really, really good mm-hmm. in pass protection. Um, and Brendel was solid for them. And I think he's a guy that, you know, didn't really have the, um, he, he'd been in the league for a while, but didn't really have um, much starting experience to the extent where, you know, fans were familiar with his game. I thought he proved himself. So, I think that what I've heard a lot this offseason is that well, whoever the quarterback's going to be, we have to make sure he's protected and upright. And this offensive line isn't good enough to do that. And I'm kind of like, I, I, I don't see that. Yeah. Um, I think that they, they looked really good for a lot of the season last year. Um, I think a lot of times, too, what has, happens, Mark, is quarterbacks might hold on to the ball too long. They might miss a read. They might Something else goes wrong. And every time there's pressure or something happens with the quarterback, it always falls back on the offensive line. And I think mm-hmm. the two most thankless jobs in football are <laughs> offensive line and quarterback, uh, because when you are beat in coverage or you're beat and your quarterback gets sacked, you're going to hear about it for an entire week following. That's all anybody's going to talk about. But if you do your job and you're excelling at it, it's just kind of like, oh, that's what you're supposed to do. It's, it's yeah. like a, a no praise only <laughs> ridicule um, <laughs> profession for these guys. So, yeah, I, I think the Niners offensive line is in a good spot. Um, and again, I think McKivitz is fine going into next year as of now. Um, we'll see how training camp goes, but until I've proven otherwise, I have no reason to really doubt him. Uh, he's, he has playoff experience. I, I didn't think he was the reason they lost the NFC championship game when he was out mm-hmm. there. So, um, I definitely think that, um, at this point in time, you kind of have to trust the process and trust Shanahan, Cosera, or sorry, not Cosera, uh, Chris Forster, um, that front office, no, they're not batting a thousand, but I think they've done enough to warrant the benefit of the doubt until proven otherwise. Yeah, they've built a great roster, and for all of the the people who say they've missed here, they've missed here, they've messed up this quarterback thing, they've built uh, an, a really, really talented roster. So it's hard to fault them for sure. Now, I want to ask you what positions you think they might uh, address in the draft, especially in the third round. But I had already planned on asking you that. And then I saw today that you wrote a piece that suggested that maybe the 49ers should take a Texas running back in the third round. And it's not the Texas running back that everybody is talking about. Tell me what you're thinking there. Because uh, I asked, um, I, I've asked others, you know, what, you know, what are you going to do if the 49ers take another running back in the third round? And some of them have mentioned, you know, throw up, be be angry or whatever. And so if it's the right fit, nobody's going to care. But where are you at on that? So I, it's funny. I So when they traded up for Trey Sermon, I, I didn't mind the pick itself. I didn't like trading up for running back in that range. Um, but the more and more – so I, I think top 100 picks are extremely valuable. So if we're to go into one, uh, 105, you know, they have um, – or sorry, 99, 101, and 102, I think, are their picks. So if we're going, let's say, the top 105, right? We cut it off there. There still is value in those back end of the third round where they have those three picks. But if you look closely, like the hit rate in that range is not great for all 32 teams. It's really, really hard to find impact players at that point in the draft. And so I think that the the issue is, is that fans expect them to find a guy – at another position, like, oh, how come they, they could have spent that pick on a superstar edge rusher or a really good corner or a really good receiver? And sure, every year there's a guy or two that slips farther than they should have that every team can point to and be like, oh, my team should have picked this guy and we didn't. But everybody missed on that guy, and there's usually a reason why. 
So my thinking um, with Roshan Johnson and why I liked him um, to the Niners this year is when you're picking in that third round range and you already have such a deep roster, to me, I would much rather take a guy, even if the positional value isn't great, if people think running backs aren't as valuable, whatever argument they want to make, or they think that they have too many good ones already because I think they have three that are proven to be really solid and a fourth who could be as well. Um, I just think that I want a guy who – I think can be a long-term NFL mm-hmm. contributor and be a guy who's going to consistently make the roster year in and year out. And if that means that he pushes out a guy that I drafted in the third round last year, survival of the fittest. It's a rough mm-hmm. business. I hate to put it that way, but ultimately I think having a guy who maybe makes a room that's already deep, even deeper, but is consistently going to be there is more valuable than taking a swing on a guy who maybe has really good athletic traits, but doesn't end up panning out at a thinner position or a position that, you know, a corner or an edge or a receiver that people might think is more valuable. Um, And I just, I think Johnson's a very complete back. I think that he's somebody who would be getting a ton more attention if he got more work, if he wasn't sharing carries with uh, B. John Robinson. Um, And I think that the biggest thing for me too is, he was extremely efficient. He had 448 total touches during his time at Texas and he averaged 5.6 yards a carry. Um, and he never averaged less than five during any of his four years there. And he only fumbled one time in his four seasons at Texas. So he's very dependable, takes care of the football. And, um, he, uh, I'm sorry, but I got a noise. <laughs> They're not coming for you. Are they? Yeah, no, I live, I live right by the free. I'm sorry about that. Sometimes the <laughs> that's free, free. all right. Um, so he's, he's very dependable. Um, he's somebody who, um, doesn't lose the football. And I think the ball security is a really big deal, but the thing that really, really really gets me, Mark, is that he arguably has his best years in front of him now because he has the pedigree of playing at a power five conference. He showed that he could excel against top flight competition, but he doesn't have the mileage that a lot of backs coming out who are highly touted do typically these five-star running backs who are ending up, you know, as these highly touted prospects that are going to be drafted super early. They're the focal point of their offenses mm-hmm. in college. And as a result, have a lot more wear and tear on their bodies. And I think that with Johnson, because Bijan Robinson was carrying so much of the load, he's a guy that when he steps into whatever NFL team he gets on, you're arguably getting his best years on that four-year rookie deal where he's going to be very inexpensive and he has that skill set without coming in having all of that mileage that typically accumulates. So to me, it just really comes down to, I think, like I want guys who are going to be NFL contributors and I want guys who are going to be on the roster at the end of their rookie deal. And I feel more confident about Roshan Johnson than I do a lot of guys who I'm seeing locked in that range. And even if that means taking another running back and – having to fight for carries with McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell. And, um, you know, I think Jordan Mason's a very talented back as well. Give me the guy who I think has that pedigree. And I think Roshan Johnson's that guy. That's, that's really good. And and you're starting to sell me on it because what, what we always hear from, from a lot of fans and, and even, even some media is why do they keep taking running backs high when they're so good at finding them later in the draft or even the undrafted ones. And so you have Elijah Mitchell who last year struggled to stay healthy. I mean, he, he barely played and you have McCaffrey who we, he's, he's all world, but I have concerns that, that they could overuse him. He was, he was struggling down. I mean, he was playing extremely well, but it seemed like he was dealing with a different injury every week down the road. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't, uh, I'm not going to argue with you. I, I think you made a great point uh, on that. And, and Johnson may be, a, may be a great pick there. So do you have any other positions or any specific players that you're thinking of in the third round? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you can never go wrong with an edge guy. Um, I think that, depending on where they want to go. Um, I think that, you know, it's tough because Drake Jackson is where I think they, they really envision the future. But if you're maybe looking at a guy that you can anchor a little bit more on base downs, I really like Viliami Fajoko out of San Jose State. I've watched him a ton. Um, I attended his pro day. I've gotten to see him work out a couple times. 
I think he would be a fantastic get. Um, I think Isaiah McGuire is a very intriguing prospect there as well. Uh, Byron Young out of Tennessee is another guy with really good traits who I like. Um, and then, you know, if we're talking cornerbacks, um, I know a guy who I've been getting into recently um, is uh, Jartavius um, Martin out of Illinois. I think he goes by Quan Martin. Um, he's really, really uh, athletically gifted. Uh, part of that, just that Illinois secondary was phenomenal. They have all these guys who are going to be drafted this year. Um, I, I don't know how anybody threw the football against them last year after watching a couple of their games. Um, I think that, uh, you know, a guy like uh, Travis Hodges Tomlinson is another player who's really intriguing. People might get on him about the size thing, but after seeing DJ Reed, Marcus Jones, some of these other guys where people said they were too small to play and they're excelling at the NFL level, I really don't care how tall you are. If you can cover guys and you can tackle, I want you on my team and he can yeah. do both of those things. So those are the guys I keep coming back to the most. Um, I really like Nick Saldaveri, the offensive lineman. Um, I wrote about Tyler Steen, another offensive lineman from Alabama, uh, Wanya Morris from Oklahoma. And then tight ends, uh, I really like Davis Allen from Clemson. He's probably my favorite, who I think is projected to go in that range. Um, but I do think there's some very intriguing tight end prospects, and they're going to end up taking one. It's just a matter of when and where. Mm-hmm. That's that's great breakdown. You talk about defensive line or, or edge. <sighs> Thinking of defensive line, if Javon Kenlaw can get healthy and can be – a solid rotational piece. If Drake Jackson can take that step forward, if they draft an edge rusher or another defensive lineman, can this defensive line get to a place where they're as good as the 2019? I'm thinking mainly because, you know, they still have Bosa and Armstead, but now they've added Javon Hargrave. Do they have a chance to be as good as that 2019 uh, uh, defensive line? I think like depth wise, it's there for sure. But the front four, it's really hard because I just don't know who would be. I, I, I think they're different players and different playing styles, but I think Javon Hargrave and DeForest Buckner, you could almost call it a wash based on how talented both players are. Um, and then obviously Armstead and Bosa are still here. The missing equation is the D Ford. And I think, yeah. I think D Ford is one of the best just pure pass rushers I've seen in the league in the last 10 years. 49ers fans are very split on their opinion of him. I think some, you know, are very frustrated that it, you know, the injuries piled up and it just didn't work out the way people would have hoped. But if we're focusing strictly on how he played and how he performed when he was on the field, he was incredible. Um, mm-hmm. The yeah. speed to get around the edge, the power that he finished with, his deep bag of moves, he was just awesome. So if we're talking like top end, best four you can put out there, that 2019 defensive line the 49ers had is, in my opinion, one of the best we've seen in the modern NFL. For thinking back the last 20, 25 years, they're in that conversation. I'm not saying they're the best, but they're definitely in that conversation for one of the best we've seen over the last quarter century or so. Yeah, they were dominant. Well, let's shift gears and talk quarterbacks because we can't do anything 49ers related without talking about quarterback drama. Let me ask you this. Do you still believe in Trey Lance? Um, I do. I, so I have no reason not to believe in Trey Lance. And I think that it's easy for me to say that because I'm not in the building seeing him throw every day, or I'm not privy to what may be happening behind the scenes. I definitely think that they just, if we're reading into body language quotes and just what we've been given as the media or as the public, I think the 49ers have definitely left room for questioning their belief in Trey Lance I think they've had plenty of opportunities to really be vocal and supportive of him. And while they haven't outright said that they don't believe in him, I definitely think that they could have done more if they really did have the belief in him yeah. that maybe a lot of people do. But, you know, I've seen him play four games in the NFL and mm-hmm. I watched all of his college snaps and a really valuable lesson I learned the last couple of years, Mark, and Brock Purdy falls into this too. No matter how these guys look in college, it can help us, but we really can't get a sense of who they're going to be in the NFL until they play in the NFL. And I think with Trey Lance, we just haven't really gotten enough of a sample where I can sit here and be like, you know what? I think this guy has it, or I think he doesn't have it. And I also think that like how much of this comes down to just unfortunate circumstance with injuries. Mm -hmm. Um, He was injured during training camp his first year. He got injured in that Arizona game. He got injured um, against the Seahawks last year. And you know, it's just, it's part of playing such a violent and physical game. And I think a lot of this really just comes down to bad luck. 
I hate the word injury prone because it's like, I, I always yeah. try to tell you like, if you were getting chased down by guys that weigh 280 pounds and run four, four forties, you'd be pretty injury prone too. <laughs> yeah. You probably would be taking pretty good beating too. So I, I think with Trey Lance at this point, um, he has a huge opportunity this off season to maybe reinstill the belief that the 49ers had to have had, you'd hope to take him where they took him. And, um, move the capital they used to take him. But I just, I just really don't know. And I apologize if that's not a good answer, but no, I'm trying really hard to not have a strong opinion. Um, yeah. I talked to, to Robert Griffin, the third at the combine, not this past year, but to 2022 and, you know, very similar circumstance uh, played in the Shanahan offense early. Kyle was his offensive coordinator, dual threat quarterback with all these expectations on him. And I asked him about Trey Lance and his response was pretty much like, you know, I, I'm not going to have strong opinions about him yet because I just, I haven't seen enough. Mm -hmm. And the more and more I go back and think about that conversation I had with him, I'm like, it's a fair point to make. And it's unfortunate for the line of work we're in and for the world we live in where, you know, you, you have to have some kind of opinion if you want people to really be drawn in and interested, but just for the sake of integrity and me not speaking on things that I can't feel confident about, I just don't know enough yet. Um, so to answer your question, and I apologize for the long answer, I would just say, I have no reason not to believe in yeah. him. I think that he's a guy who has potential. Um, whether or not he realizes that potential will remain to be seen. But I have zero reason to think he can't do it. Just like I think it's fair for people to say that there's zero reason to believe that he absolutely will do it. We all just really don't know at this point. Yeah, I still believe in him. Yeah, during the during the football season at 49ers Web Zone, we do a weekly mailbag. And so we get a lot of questions from fans of the team. And I cannot tell you how many Trey Lance is a bust statements I, I would receive during that time. And it just was like a broken record. And, and I, I don't know how you can label him a bust when you've barely seen him play. And so to me, I, 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 if I'm going to be behind whoever is the quarterback it would be best for the team long-term if Trey Lance wins that job. But uh, I know that, that Brock Purdy did great things last year, but NFL history is littered with quarterbacks that played really well for a small period of time. I hope that he's not one of those. I hope that he becomes great. Uh, but at, at this point, to me, Brock Purdy is still a question mark as well. And, and then you add his injury on top of that. So I've been on on the side of i think the 49ers believe in trey lance i i don't agree with the bust i don't agree with this and that and then they signed sam darnold and i didn't think anything about that at first i did think well that's strange that he's willing to come be a, a third string quarterback uh, when he could go challenge for a starting position somewhere and then when kyle shanahan said that they were going to split first team reps now he didn't say 50-50, so who knows what that means. But I started at that point thinking, gosh, is it possible that Sam Darnold could win that starting position until Brock Purdy is ready? So then today, I don't know if you heard this, but on KNBR, Matt Mayoko was on, and he said that he spoke with Frank Gore yesterday and that Frank Gore went on and on about how good Sam Darnold is. And even, even as much uh, to say, you guys are going to be surprised by what he does. And so he was like really endorsing Sam Darnold. Let me have you finish this sentence. If Sam Darnold starts multiple games for the 49ers, blank. Uh, I think they'll be fine. That would just kind of be my response. I think that he – I'm kind of in line with what Frank Gore is saying. I obviously didn't get to see him up close in New York the way that Frank did when they were teammates, but the guy has arm talent. He has traits that you like. He has things that stand out, and he also has a lot of games in the NFL where he didn't look very great, but how much of that is you know on him versus the environment, we'll find out when he's playing in what's arguably the most conducive environment for quarterbacks in the league. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think that they'll be fine. I think they could win games, Mark, with any of the three they have. The roster's so good. They just need a guy who's not going to come in and completely mess things up. And I think that right now they have three guys who are more than capable of just kind of 
steering the car and keeping it on the road, right? Like so, let's say they're on a long road trip, right? You're driving on a long road. You just need to keep the car in cruise control and keep it from veering off to the side of the road. Yeah. I think all three quarterbacks are more than capable for doing that. And I apologize if that's a poor analogy, but that's yeah, kind yeah, of, you know, that that's where I'm at with it, where it's like, I don't think any of the three are going to have to be this like transcendent talent that's throwing for 300 yards a week and has to put the offense on their backs. Um, they have all pro caliber talent at every single skill position. Mm -hmm. They have one of the brightest offensive minds we've seen in the NFL, arguably ever in Kyle Shanahan. Uh, they just need somebody that's going to come in and um, execute within the structure of the offense, make plays when they need to. But the frequency when we're talking about needing to is going to be far less for this 49ers team compared to other teams, because you have the luxury of, checking down to Christian McCaffrey. I'm watching him make four or five guys miss for a big game. You have the luxury of throwing a quick slant to Debo Samuel and watching him plow over defenders at the second level. Um, so I think if Sam Donald starts, they'll be fine. I think that if, if that's really the route that this goes down, it will have meant that he earned it here in the respect of his coaches and his teammates in training camp. And again, I'm with Frank Gore where I think that it, I'm not saying that I think Sam Donald's going to be the guy. And I'm not saying that he's going to be this like, incredible talent but people talk about the guy like he's some cast off that doesn't belong in the nfl and i'm like man the tape that i've seen says otherwise maybe it's just a matter of him not having the stability and the yeah. uh, the benefit of having the weapons that you have in you know san francisco with the 49ers so i'm really intrigued to see how it plays out but it doesn't surprise me at all to hear frank gore say that because i think that he has gotten kind of a an ill reception, if that's that's the terminology that fits. You know, just people are kind of, I, I think, way too quick to be like, oh, Sam Darnold sucks. He's not that good. Yeah. And then we might start hearing reports out of training camp. We see some preseason games where we're like, oh, wow, this guy kind of – kind of had like, I don't know if you remember that Jets game, the, the Niners won in 2020. I think it was week mm -hmm. two. Um, the, it, the game was well out of hand at that point. But I remember he made a throw at the end of that game where I, I was left for like two or three hours after. Like, how the heck did he do that? Like, he, he just – he has these – these moments in him where you really see the greatness that would have led to a team taking him as high as he was taken in his draft in 2018. Is that the one he was rolling to his left? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was, that, that was an impressive, he, he is a talented kid and he had Adam Gase as, as one of his coaches. So that uh, nobody's going to succeed in that Peyton Manning did, but uh, Adam Gase wasn't Peyton Manning's offensive coordinator Peyton Manning was his own offensive coordinator. So that's a little different, but um, so I had, I had something else that I was going to ask you about the, uh, well, let me just ask you this. If everybody's healthy at the end of the day, who would you, if, if you had to, I'm staking my claim, I'm predicting this guy's going to be the starting quarterback in 2023. If everybody's healthy, Who's that? Who do you think that's going to be? I think it would have to be Brock Purdy at this point. I just think he, given what he did last year, the way that his teammates responded to him, the way he played and the results they got, it would have to be him first. And then if he doesn't play well, maybe then you move on. But I just don't see a scenario where you could leapfrog him if he is healthy and he is ready to go and he does get reps in camp. Um, that's kind of where I've been asking myself and others, and I'm always open to hearing anybody's thoughts on this, like, what exactly can Sam Darnold or Trey Lance do to leapfrog Brock Purdy mm -hmm. if we are assuming all three will be healthy by the time the season comes around? Because as much as you can look really good in training camp or OTAs and you can have a really, really strong preseason, I don't think the weight of that can ever compare to what we saw with Purdy, you know, having these games where the offense is scoring 30 plus points in December, yeah. going into the playoffs, winning two playoff games, and just the sense I've talked to a few players on the team and when, you know, they, it's not to say that they don't have belief in other guys, but when you focus strictly on their belief in Brock Purdy, um, it's not something that just happened overnight. I wrote an article after the pro bowl. I talked to Trent Williams, George Kittle and Fred Warner about it. Um, if anybody wants to check it out, it's on Niners nation still. And each of those guys kind of shared the moment that they kind of knew that, you know, Brock Purdy was a guy who had that potential um, and like, I think Fred Warner mentioned it was like OTAs. So way, way, way before even training camp rolled around, he's like the way he was competing in OTAs. I saw there was something special with this guy and Kittle mentioned a throw that he had made during the preseason. Um, Talano Hufanga had mentioned, you know, just the way that the, you know, that he was running the scout team and some of the things they were getting from him uh, in their preparation as a defense week to week. So 
I think they always kind of knew that there was something there. And then once they hit the ground running, when he was actually out there in live action, playing these games away from the practice field, it just reaffirmed a belief they already had in him. So I would say Brock Purdy, just for the fact that he has a track record with the team that the other two don't. And I think it would cause problems if all three were healthy and he wasn't the guy to go out there and like, I think he could be in a position where he lost the job if he didn't play well enough, but I don't see a scenario that's um, conducive to the culture. If they just leapfrog him without him having a chance to go out on the field again first, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I completely agree. Are the 49ers as good right now as they were going into the NFC championship? Obviously they came out of that game with an injured quarterback, but going into that game, they they were really I don't know if they would have beaten the Eagles, but I think that they would have made it really close. But where do you think they are now compared to where they were going into that game? Um, it's tough. They lost some really good pieces. Um, losing Michael Glinchy hurts, despite what many 49ers fans on social media will tell you. Um, losing uh, Aziz Al Shair another loss that gets underrated because Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner have been so good. Yeah. Arshair was a big time player for them mm-hmm. who was able to fill in when he was needed um, and really provided something as that third backer in that group. Um, you know, losing a many and Willis really hurts. Having Purdy injured is really kind of up in the air. I- I'll be completely honest. I was shocked. They signed Javon Hargrave. I think that was a tremendous <laughs> signing. I-, I watched the majority of the snaps from the last couple seasons and I can't remember a time watching an acquisition, whether it was a trade or a free agent in the few years I've been doing this, where I was more excited to think about their potential with the 49ers because on his own, Hargrave's a game-wrecking talent who just, he just is an exceptional, exceptional player. And then you think about the work Chris Kosarek has done, the work Daryl Tapp's done, pairing him with a guy like Armstead on the inside, having people have to worry about Nick Bosa on the edge. So it's tough because I think they got better in some areas, but overall I think it would be really hard to say that they're better absolutely right now because of the guys they lost. But I don't think they got like worse, if that makes sense. I think it's kind of in between. I just think that it really does hurt to lose some of the depth they lost. And sometimes when guys aren't frontline players or guys that are getting a ton of attention, it may get overlooked. But there are, they did lose some pieces where it is kind of like, until we see otherwise, you know, these guys have been reliable. You know, a guy like Jordan Willis, he may not be super flashy household name around the league, but for 49ers fans, you know, he's somebody the last three and a, or two and a half years was able to come in and provide reliable snaps, be somebody they could count on as that edge depth, um, was able to kick inside. He, he arguably single-handedly won that playoff game in Green Bay a couple of years ago. So it's hard for me to say that they're better, but I'm not sitting here going, oh my God, they got way worse if that makes sense i think they're kind of in that same range it just would be difficult to overlook the losses they had yeah jimmy ward uh, jimmy ward yeah i can't yeah that's a, yeah it's a big loss that's uh, a huge omission by me i apologize you're absolutely no right. no that's it's it's hard there were so many mm-hmm. there were a lot of a lot of losses you know that uh, uh that that i i hope that they can overcome let me finish with uh with with one a, a question that doesn't really have to do with the current team a few few weeks ago, I wrote uh, a piece and um, and they did a podcast on it called "The Ten Worst Decisions in 49ers History." My top worst des- decision was when they traded Charles Haley to the Cowboys. I think that cost them at least two Super Bowls, maybe even three. If I had to have you give me your top three worst decisions in 49ers history. And some, some of the others are like I had Jim firing Jim Harbaugh and then the same thing, uh, hiring Jim Tom Sula. And so those are, you know, another one, uh, not bringing back Deion Sanders and Ricky Waters after the 94 season. Even Steve Young said losing Ricky Waters hurt more than losing Deion Sanders. And I think that if you go back and watch that season, uh, 1995, you'll see that uh, they had no, uh, no answer to losing Ricky Waters. What would be your top three worst decisions in 49ers history? Absolutely. You know, I, I try to pride myself on learning from people who've been watching the Niners longer than myself, but for the sake of, um, you know, keeping it in my time frame, I was born in 1995. I'm 27. So I'll keep it to my lifetime just so in case anybody's like, how could you forget about this? I want to make it very clear (laughs) that I'm keeping it to just what I've seen. 
Um, I, I would start with number three, and it's not not necessarily a um, like like the team still had success after, but I think this was the difference between them getting over the top or not. And I would say it wasn't signing Peyton Manning that off season mm-hmm. and going into 2012, I believe it was. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think Colin Kaepernick was was great for them that second half of the season. Alex Smith was playing at a really high level. If you add Peyton Manning to what I think was the best roster in football at that point in time, it's really hard to come away with a scenario where they're not Super Bowl champions. Um, I know we've heard stories about Harbaugh's workout with him and some disagreements <laughs> or not seeing eye to eye. I don't know what went into it. All I know is that there was some level of interest there and the Denver Broncos did whatever they needed to do to make him feel wanted and make him feel welcome. Mm-hmm. 49ers didn't. Um, I think Peyton Manning's on the short list for greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. I think yeah. oftentimes people, you know, they forget Mark, how special he was in Indianapolis. He had some great years in Denver as well. And then obviously the last couple were kind of rough. Um, but in terms of just ball placement, his command of the offense, the ability to just be, as you mentioned, the, literally an offensive coordinator on the field at the same time, um, not having him, I think was a big miss. So that yeah. would be number three for me. Number two isn't a personnel decision. But I think moving to Santa Clara is one that just, you know, I lived a mile from the stadium for nearly a decade in Santa Clara. You know, I, I, no disrespect to the area, but Candlestick was special. And if you weren't going to, you know, stay at Candlestick, I think it's really unfortunate that they couldn't come to some kind of agreement. And I know that it goes beyond just the Niners bolting. There were some things that the city of San Francisco didn't concede as well. And there's far more to it. But I just think, not doing whatever they could to make it work and staying on that, you know, area of land they were at Candlestick. Um, it, it just Niners games didn't feel the same for, it's been almost 10 years. I think it'll be 10 years next year. Um, this will be the 10th season. I think at Levi's now, or I think this will be the 10th season at Levi's now. Um, and to be honest with you, I never really felt that anything close to that Candlestick vibe until this past postseason. Um, the Seahawks game in the wild card round was the first time where I was really like, you know what? Like this kind, this feels a little like candlestick, um, and I just think that for a lot of reasons, I would have liked to see them stay in San Francisco. See them, stay. and again, this is a somebody whose commute to games was. I walked three quarters of a mile to go to games. It was much easier for me to see them in Santa Clara. I would have rather sat in traffic on the 101 for an hour and a half <laughs> and see them in the city. So I think moving to Santa Clara was one that I, I just. For a number of reasons, I would have liked to see them stay in San Francisco. And then number one for me is one I will never get over. Is they could win ten Super Bowls in a row, and I would still hold a little bit of a grudge. And that's drafting Alex Smith over Aaron Rodgers. I just I I never understood it then. Even as you know, I was like ten when that pick happened. But I'm a Cal fan, admittedly, so I'd watched plenty of Aaron Rodgers. I you know watching Sports Center every day, and oh, the Niners, he's in the backyard. It's going to be Rodgers. You can pass on Rodgers. I don't understand how um, how you have a prospect that talented, that close, and you allow, you know, we've heard the stories about Mike Nolan and Alex mm-hmm. Smith opening the car door for his mom and Mike Nolan not liking Roger's attitude or whatever stories have come out. Uh, that's one to me where it's just like, you think about how great those Niners rosters were. Um, Scott McLaughlin did such an incredible job building out that roster and really setting the stage for that early 2010s run under Jim Harbaugh. And it's like, man, if you think about what that team would have looked like with Aaron Rodgers, I think it's different. And people will say, Mark, oh, well, you know, he had all these different offensive coordinators in terms of Alex Smith, you know, would Rodgers have had the same success? I'm watching Aaron Rodgers throw football for 20 years. I'm not doubting that guy in any environment. You could put him with any coach in any situation you can't take away that arm talent. And he's one of the most talented throwers of the football I'd ever seen. So off the top of my head, those would probably be my three. I'm sure there's there's other ones I might have omitted, but those are the ones that always kind of stick with me. And the Rodgers one hurts doubly because I am a fan of Cal. And I, I just, I think it's really hard when it's somebody that you have so close to home and somebody who grew up a 49ers fan, whose dream it was to always play for the team. And, you know, Alex Smith was a fine quarterback for the team. He got dealt a pretty bad hand, but... You can go back. This isn't hindsight or revisionist. You go back and you watch the college tape from both of those guys. Alex Smith's in this gimmicky spread offense for Urban Meyer at mm-hmm. Utah. Like there just there were so many things that pointed to it should have been Rodgers at the time. So I'll probably never get over that one. But those, <laughs> those would be my three, probably. 
Yeah, I don't know if Mike Nolan will ever get over it either, but because uh, he, he might still have a job if he would have done that. Hey, Jordan, great job. You really brought a lot of great information. Tell us where we can find you uh, on Twitter or or wherever you're, you're writing or podcasts, anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. So my Twitter is at splash underscore cousin, uh, go warriors. We got a title to defend here or they do. I'm not, you know, not me obviously, but <laughs> I'm, I'm a big, big warriors guy. So that's uh, you know, when I first got into writing, I was doing some warrior stuff. So that's how I got that handle on Twitter. It ended up sticking. Um, and then I write pretty much every day for Niners nation. Um, I have a article coming out tomorrow for an uh, interview I did with a draft prospect who's met with the 49ers and has some ties to the team. So I'm really excited to get that out and uh, just some last minute thoughts on the draft and things over the next couple of weeks. And um, as we transition to the off season, I'll have something pretty much every day. So uh, yeah, um, not just me as well. We've got a great team at Niners nation. really, really honored to work with some, uh, some fantastic people there who are uh, always thinking, you know, you, you get to this point in the off season mark where it's like, I don't know if you have the same um, struggle as I do sometimes where you're like, man, like what can I write about today? There's nothing yeah. in the news cycle. There's not much going on and it's funny. I'll have some weeks where I'm just like, I'm in the zone and I'm finding stuff that I, you know, whether writing about stuff from the past or, you know, um, digging up something that can work. And there's some weeks where I'm just like scratching my head, trying to type. I'm looking at a blank screen on my computer for an hour before words start flowing. So uh, I'm doing my best to keep, uh, keep something coming out over the next couple of weeks as we start getting to the slower part of the off season. That's great. You're doing a great job. You are, you're a star, man. I mean, just, the 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 way that you've come up and the things that you're doing you're you're doing an amazing job so really excited to see what what uh, lies ahead for you so thanks everybody for watching go um, follow Jordan uh, on Twitter at splash underscore cousin uh, go check him out on Niners Nation and then wherever you're listening to this podcast or if you're on YouTube you can follow rate review. Uh, the 49ers Camelot podcast. Uh, we would appreciate that so that we can continue getting the word out. Jordan, thanks so much, man. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much, Mark. Absolute pleasure.